Well, tonight we want to talk about a big, hairy, audacious faith. And I looked that word hairy up because I, I, I've read the book, Good to Great, a few times, and there's even a, a nonprofit edition of it. And it's a great book, but um, it's kind of an old book now. But uh, the truths are still the same. But I just wanted to be sure I was getting this right, Big Harry. Harry means risky. That's one of the words the thesaurus gives for it. It means ambitious or risky. You're willing to go out on a limb. You're willing to tear something up in order to do something great. And I, I just thought this is the best way I knew to title this message this, this evening for Mark chapter 2. Matter of fact, once I had finished the message, I really wasn't sure how to title it. And the only thing that kept coming to me was big, hairy, audacious faith. Um, Jim Collins calls it BHAG goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. But I want to talk tonight about faith that's willing to tear the roof up in order to see God do something. So let's look at the word of the Lord together tonight. In Mark chapter 2, we're going to just do the first 12 verses. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Now, notice this, he's made Capernaum home. He's back home, probably at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law's house, possibly, because generations sometimes would live in a home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. I wonder what his mother-in-law thought about that. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, and seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child. Now, don't let that miss you. My child. Isn't that tender? Isn't it? Just stop for just a moment. Uh, some translations read, son, my son. I, that's just a very tent. When I say my son to one of my sons or, or my daughter, there's, there's a moment of tenderness and affection and in love that's implied there. So don't miss this, how God just instantly loves this man, this paralytic. My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? Or if you've been a Southern, you say, what in the world is he thinking? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Now, there's a riddle. Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, stand up, or is it easier to say you're forgiven? So Jesus is throwing out a riddle here. Who else in the Bible threw out a riddle? Samson, the strong man, okay? So this, this is an interesting concept that he's doing here. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He's about to demonstrate through this miracle who he is. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man, said to him, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned, circle that in your outline, the stunned over onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. This is a cool, cool passage of Scripture. Don't you agree? I mean, when you read this, this, 
This is such a fascinating and exciting and very, very cool passage. As we go through this tonight, I think you need to keep in mind there are three surprised people groups. Number one, I'm surprised when I read the passage. I'm surprised because I'll try to bring out to you why I'm surprised during the message. Secondly, his friends are surprised when they see how Jesus handles the situation. And then his religious critics are surprised, these theological heavyweights that are there. They're surprised by what they see happening. And so we need to try to ask ourselves, what are these surprises and what can we learn from these surprises? Because this message or this passage in Mark chapter 2 is written for much more than just to tell us another story. Now we're seeing Jesus move from healing to forgiving sins. Remember in Mark chapter 1, it's been all about the healing miracles. Now in Mark chapter 2, and it's a fast pace. I mean, the Romans would have loved this. You like this if you like uh, how many, are any of you in here binge watchers when it comes to television? You know, give God the glory and tell the truth. Don't, don't act like you. Any binge watchers, you just get started. You got to keep watching to you. All right. So you like the action. You don't want to wait on the story. So here we go. Peter, is, Mark is just giving this so quickly. It's like binge watching Netflix or something. J.C. Ryle, Bishop J.C. Ryle that I quote a lot. He said, never were people so favored as the people of Capernaum. And never did people appear to become so hard. Let us beware of walking in their steps. We ought often to use the prayer of the litany from the hardness of heart, good Lord, deliver us. Can we say that together as a prayer? From the hardness of heart, good Lord, deliver us. Say it again. From the hardness of heart, good Lord, deliver us. You've heard me say this from the pulpits on Sunday mornings. If miracles were going to bring revival to America, bring salvation to America, America would be saved and revived already because America has seen more than her share of miracles. From the very beginning, this has been a land where there's been so many miracles that have taken place. Come on in. There's a place for you right in here. So you just, you need to understand that they've seen miracles but as the story progresses, you'll see that Capernaum becomes cold. And may we never become cold or lukewarm in our faith. Just a few things real quickly before I just try to really break out the surprises for you. Number one, Jesus preached God's word, the gospel. I don't ever mind being called a preacher. I stand in a good line of people if I'm called a preacher. You know, the most affectionate term I'm called is pastor by people, normal, but to preach the news, the, and a preacher is not, that's not a negative pejorative term. Matter of fact, one of the men in our church who, who has been very influential in my life and helpful, one time he was talking about somebody at work just preaching to them. And I said, was he sharing the good? Oh, no, no, he's just, it was very negative. I said, never use the word preach in a negative pejorative sense again. He looked at me and he said, really? I go, yes, to preach. If you're preaching, you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. You're sharing the good news of what Christ came to do. And this is the good news. The Messiah has come to break the power of sin and begin God's personal reign upon the earth. Let's say that together. The good news is the Messiah has come to break the power of sin and begin God's personal reign upon the earth. Now, this time of the year, I will, after Thanksgiving Day, I will once again, as I do every year, I will listen to Handel's Messiah. It's the gospel. 
It's just so powerful and it's so beautiful as you lead up to, to the hallelujah course. You know, I teased one of my kids, when you get married, I'm going to start singing hallelujah. You know, I'll give you two chances to guess who that was. Number three, the miracles of Jesus pointed to his identity. They revealed his compassion and his love for the people he had come to save. Now, that's what miracles are about. Miracles are not about showboating. Miracles are about pointing to the identity of Jesus, revealing his compassion, and his love for the people he comes to save. Can I just ask a question of those of you that are here? And if you're watching online, and you, you can send me a private message through Messenger or text me at 734-931-01111 if you don't want to leave it there on, the, on Facebook. But if you've had a miracle in your life, would you just say yes? Just some, comment yes or send me a text message. How many of you have had a miracle in your life? Could I see your hand? I'd say almost everybody in the room is saying there's been a real miracle in their life. And when God does that miracle for you, it is because the very last word I used is because he loves you, but God wants to reveal who he is through you, and he wants you to know who he is in your own personal life. So let's look at what we take away from this story tonight. First of all, a good friend quickly takes you to Christ. A good friend quickly takes you to Christ. Now, notice I didn't say a good friend quickly tells you the gospel. Before you talk to your friends about Jesus, talk to Jesus about your friends. Before you start telling them about Jesus, talk to Jesus about them. Ask God to give you discernment. Ask God to give you an understanding heart. Do what we talked about Sunday morning. Learn to identify with their story. Build relationships with people and listen not only to the words they say, but their body language. Just try to identify with where they're at. Because when these friends decided to bring their friend to Jesus, I don't know why they waited so long. Jesus, the man has been a paralytic. Jesus has already been in town doing miracles. But for some reason, they haven't quickly brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus comes back and he's preaching, they wait so long that the place is already packed out. Have you ever bought tickets for a concert and all the best seats were sold out and you had to get in the nosebleed section and you go, I'd rather watch this on my television at home, you know, or a ball game or something like that. But a good friend quickly begins to talk to Jesus about their friend. I noticed something in this passage tonight is Jesus is not doing any miracles. Jesus is preaching, and people are hanging on to every word of the Lord. Don't fool yourselves. Don't think that there has to be a miracle rally and a big band. People want truth. People need the word of the Lord. The Bible says in Mark chapter 2, let's start at verse 2, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. What was he doing? While he was preaching God's word or the good news, and the good news that he was the Messiah, he had come to break the power of sin and began God's reign upon this earth. Then four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. This is a fortunate man. You are fortunate if you have a very few good friends. This is a fortunate man that these were men that they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Again, I don't know why they waited so long, but I just want to toss this out. Maybe it wasn't the friend's fault. Maybe it was the paralytic man's fault. 
I'm just, now I'm guessing, I'm reading between the lines because there's so much going on in the story. Jesus has already been there. He's been doing miracles. But now he returns to Capernaum. He's back, we suspect, at Peter's mother-in-law's home or Peter's house. And he's preaching God's word. Why do we wait so long sometimes ourselves to come to the Lord? People tell me all the time, I, I don't want to bother him. And when they hear me, when, when I hear them tell me they don't want to bother God, I'm just like, you're not that big a deal. <laughs> Your cancer is not that big a deal. Your heart disease is not that big a deal. Your finances is not that God's a big God. He can handle the whole world. Today, the newspaper said that, that the UN believes there's 8 billion people on the planet today. That's nothing for God. <laughs> okay? Maybe he just didn't want to admit he needed a miracle. Maybe he just didn't want to be dependent upon his friends. None of us want to be dependent upon others. Or perhaps it's this. How many of you have ever done this? You don't hope. You don't have faith because you don't want to be disappointed. You know, you might even look at what our family as Woodland and a family in our congregation has recently gone through, and you might still be asking yourself, to, it just doesn't make sense. Why? And there's some things that won't make sense until we get to heaven. But we know that God is good and God is in control of all things. Can, can you say amen to that? <laughs> Never stop hoping. Because if you start hoping, what you're doing is you're afraid that you'll be disappointed and you don't trust God for the miracle that's to come. There is always a miracle just around the corner. It may not happen in your lifetime. It may not happen in my lifetime. I'm not making any false assurances here, but never, ever give up hope on Jesus. He's saying to you tonight, my child, my son, my daughter. He loves you. He knows you. Number two, a good friend builds big faith. I need friends with big faith. I have lots of friends. As a matter of fact, I just told somebody that in my study tonight. I have a lot of friends. Matter of fact, it's scary sometimes because the Bible says a man with many friends won't come to a good end. <laughs> I have a lot of friends, but I have a few good friends with big faith that I call upon them to pray with me, to intercede, to pull down strongholds, to grab hold of God with me, or, or as we used to say when I was growing up, to pray through, to punch a hole through the clouds of darkness until we touch the throne of heaven. And when these friends, they they come to the house, they know that there are theological heavyweights there. They know that there are people there that are critics. They know that there are people there that they're going to be waiting on this young rabbi called Jesus. He's only 30 years old. They're waiting on him to make a slip up so they can find something to accuse him. They also know if they get identified with the wrong rabbi, they might even be kicked out of the synagogue. We've already see, we've seen that happen in the Gospels. We haven't seen it yet, but we've seen that happen in the Gospels. And to be kicked out of the synagogue in a Jewish community is to be excluded from the community and business. Now, it would have been quite that difficult with the Roman occupation, but they hated the Romans. They wanted to be in the Jewish community. It's amazing to me that the Bible tells us that these theological heavyweights they're sitting down. Now remember, the place is packed. They're standing outside. You can't even get close to the house. But here are these guys evidently sitting in some sort of honored position, 
suspiciously watching Jesus, waiting for a slip-up, and they're sitting down. There's a real story right there being communicated to careful readers of the gospel. They're not standing eagerly waiting for the word of the Lord or for truth. They're looking for Jesus to make a mistake. But Jesus just keeps preaching. He's calm. He's unperturbed. And he knows he's in control. And let me tell you something. He doesn't panic. He doesn't let anything disturb him. And God's got this. Can you say amen to that? Whatever you're facing, God's got it. So they couldn't bring him to Jesus, verse 4. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Can you imagine? I mean, I've just tried to picture this. Can you imagine looking up and seeing their image faces staring down? We just tore your roof up, ma'am. I am so sorry. I mean, you can't see the man in the match yet. You can't see the paralyzed. Here are these guys. They're, they're pulling up. If it's thatch or if it's ball site, they're pulling it all apart. And you, it's just funny to me. They're, they're looking down through a hole in the roof to be sure they're over Jesus. And everybody's just kind of, Jesus obviously stops preaching. And then they lowered the man on his mat. That had to be in itself something like, don't drop him. Don't tip it too far. We don't want to dump him out and kill him before Jesus gets a chance to heal him. Okay. So there's a lot going on right here. They lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Now, why did they do this? Because the crowds would not let them in. Sometimes as believers, we're so eager to hear the word ourselves, we don't let the desperate get close. And we can block, we have to be careful that we don't block others from coming to hear the gospel. And then I, I just admire them because and I, I, I can't step off camera, but if you could just imagine with me, maybe I can tell it descriptively enough. They get there. It's hot. I've been to Israel. It's hot. They, they can't get through the crowd. And so they lay their friend down on the ground. There's no pavement. There's no sidewalk. They lay him down on the ground, and they just go, all right, what do we do now? And Keith says to Bob, Bob, why don't we just go up there and just rip apart the roof? And Gary says, oh, no, you know Peter's mother-in-law. She'll pitch a hissy fits. And Paul says, forget it. Jesus is in there. We got to get him up there. So they go around. They sneak around to the other side of the house. Somehow or another, they hoist one another up, pull the rest of them up, and they get on the roof. And somehow they pull their friend's mat up to the top of the house. Now, I'm, there's a lot going on. There's not a ladder. They get him up there on the roof, they tear the roof apart, and they lure him down. Let me tell you something. They loved their friend. How much do you love your friends tonight? How much do you love your lost friends? How much time do you spend in prayer for them? Are you punching a hole through the clouds of darkness? Are you praying through for your friends tonight? Are you tearing apart the roof of darkness through prayer and through faith so that you, at that right moment, when you're able to talk to them about Jesus, the word finds a place in their heart, and that hard heart begins to crack. You say, how do I do this, Pastor? Well, number one, you can only build your faith by sticking with the word of truth. I don't, oh, I hate it. And occasionally, sometimes, people will say it to me, and I have to just buy. Somebody says in church, it's going to be a different context. But out in the world, somebody will tell me, say, well, faith is not really thinking. You're just moving on blind faith. And, 
That's an opportunity for me to win. I say, no, 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 no. Faith is the clearest, highest form of thinking there is. Faith is not blind faith. Faith is not just leaping out into nothingness, but we ponder, we meditate the truth of God's word by which all things came into being and by which all things are held together in Christ. We ponder, we meditate that truth, we apply that truth in our life, and then we live by faith in that word of God that has been demonstrated in Christ's life and demonstrated in the preaching of the gospel throughout the years. We build our faith up by meditating upon the word of God. Faith is just simply this. It's getting the information that God's Word has. It's agreeing with the information of God's Word. And then it's acting upon God's Word. So you could say information, agreement, and action. Say that with me. Information, agreement, and action. Information is the Word of God. Agreement is saying this is what God's Word said. This may be what the facts are that I'm facing, but this is what God's Word said. We don't hide from the facts. We face the facts, but we act upon what the Word of God says. Does does that make sense? And so that's the action these men took. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. And now I entrust you to God and His care and to His wonderful words that are able to build your faith and give you all the inheritance of those who are set apart for Himself. What will build your faith? His wonderful words. What will build your faith? His wonderful words. Circle that in your outline tonight. His wonderful words. That's Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. And if you're watching on church online, you've got all of these notes for you. Thirdly, a good friend's faith makes a big difference in your life. It makes a big difference in your walk with Christ. My friend's faith, I've been so blessed by their faith. Look at Mark chapter 2 and verse 5. And I love how Peterson translates this in the message. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus spoke to the paraplegic. By whose bold belief? The faith of the four men, and I got to believe the faith of the man that trusted them to let them down through the roof. I'm just telling you, when I put, my, when I put myself in the, on that mat and I'm imagining what's happening, first of all, to let them take me up on a roof and I'm already paraplegic. Number two, to lure me through the roof in front of Mrs. Peter, his mother-in-law. I'm paralyzed with fear. And then the third, that they're not going to dump me out on the floor. Okay? I mean, there's a lot going on. So impressed by their bold belief, Jesus spoke to the paraplegic. Three things real quickly there. You've got to have persistent faith. You've got to have creative faith. But you've got to have sacrificial faith. Somebody had to pay for this roof. Somebody had to repair this roof. Somebody had to be prepared to meet Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's done enough dumb things in his life. He's probably going to be a little more compassionate. Somebody's got to repair. Secondly, the paraplegic, he had to believe, listen, he had to believe not only Jesus could, but Jesus would heal him. He had to believe that. There had to be hope, and his friends had to have that hope. But what surprises us is what Jesus says to the man. First of all, Jesus will always deal with the source of the problem. Jesus will always deal with the source of the problem. I think his friends were probably disappointed in what Jesus said at first. I think his friends probably thought, I'm just putting myself in their shoes, and you probably are much more holy and more spiritual than I am. 
But they're probably thinking to Jesus, we're in trouble with Mrs. Peter. We're in trouble. We've tore this house up. Jesus, can't you see this dude is paralyzed? And you're talking about sin? Obviously, there's a much bigger need here, Jesus. And Jesus says, my child, very tender, your sins are forgiven. Health is good. Prosperity is good. But those things are not nearly as important as a right relationship with God. And we are so used in our naturalistic way of thinking that sickness is always caused by something viral, bacterial, or biological, or some birth defect or deformity in our lives. But never forget, sickness came into the world because of sin. I am certainly not saying, and don't misunderstand me, I'm certainly not saying that someone is sick or someone has died because of sin. But there are times when people do get sick because of sin. There are things, behavioral problems or behavioral issues. There are things that people do. One of my best friend's daughter was killed in a highway accident in Georgia. All because she disobeyed her father who specifically told her, Somewhere not to go, something not to do, something not to partake in. And that evening when I held him at the hospital, he said to me, if she'd only obeyed, she'd still be alive. So Jesus goes to the source. Every sickness is not caused by sin, but sickness is in our world because of sin. And if we refuse to deal with that, there are some problems and some issues that will never be dealt with. Because what Christ does for us is he redeems us body and soul. What Jesus is offering to this man, listen, this is important. Jesus is offering this man a brand new relationship with God. He's offering him eternal life. The man's going to get sick again. Everybody that I've ever prayed, I've lived long enough that I have seen miracles happen in people. People healed of blindness, people healed of diseased limbs, people healed of cancer. Eventually, they get sick again. We may not want to hear that, but eventually they get sick again. The point is, the most important thing in your life is a right relationship with God. And God looks at you and says, my child, the most fundamental need of life is not healing from sickness. It's not food for the belly. It's not clothes for the body. It's not shelter for your family. The most fundamental need is the forgiveness of our sins. God provides all of those things graciously. But most people just want to stop with that. But now, here's another surprise. Remember, this story is full of surprises. Keith, you're a good theologian. But this surprises me theologically. I think I'm a mediocre theologian. Keith's a great theologian. The man doesn't repent. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Aren't you supposed to repent of your sins first? There's no indication the man has repented. I think what you're seeing is the aggressive love of God and the amazing grace of Christ that before I even ask, he's offering me what I need. And that is, that's explosive in my heart. That's explosive in my mind. Before I even ask, he offers me the forgiveness. Now, here's another question. The man is paralyzed. The man is paralyzed. 
you know what, I know what it means not to be paralyzed anymore. I can tell you what that feels like. I love moving. Love moving. What does it feel like to be forgiven? What does it feel like to be forgiven? Somebody said free. There's all kinds of words we could describe it. I like what one English theologian said. To be forgiven is like having an aching, rotting tooth pulled out of your mouth. You're no longer in pain. The source of your pain has been removed. Come on, victory. I mean, to be forgiven is like having an aching, rotting tooth pulled out of your mouth. The pain is gone. The sorrow is gone. So technically, the heavyweights were correct. Only God can forgive sins. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because Jesus says the answer to the riddle is this. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to get up and take up your mat? In other words, if he has the power to forgive sin, he has the power to heal. Jesus is the incarnation of God's will to forgive and heal. I wish I had a little more time to deal with this. These, theolog these theological heavyweights knew that. Look at me for just a second. They knew that. Exodus 15, 26, God is talking about dealing with their sins. And the last part of this is, I am the Lord who heals you. If you read Leviticus, remember we talked last week about the man with the leper. Leprosy couldn't enter in. People that were deformed like I was with a serious birth defect could not have entered in. If, if I'd have been of the priestly tribe, I could not have served before the Lord as a priest because of my birth defect. But I could have partaken of the showbread. I could have had all the benefits of the priesthood. I just wouldn't have been allowed to minister. Isn't the new covenant wonderful? I not only can come before the presence of the Lord, I get to enjoy all the blessings of God. That's a sign for us. There's much more to life than food, bread, and shelter. Secondly, critics love to sit and find fault. Usually the people that are trying to make something happen, they're getting up and they're getting busy. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You're right. So finally tonight, Jesus came to bring forgiveness to a broken world. The paralytic man, the paralytic man stands for all of us. We're dead in trespasses and sins until Christ forgives us. And for some of us, we don't even know the day we give our hearts to Jesus, but somewhere along the line, we begin to love Jesus, we begin to follow Jesus, we begin to serve Jesus. Some of us have those crises when we remember the day we gave our life to Christ, but God in His aggressive love and grace, He comes to us. And the only reason, and I have to say this, and then one more quick point and I'll close. The only reason Christ could forgive him of his sins is not just that he was God, but as the Old Testament prophesied over and over, he would lay down his life not too long from then upon a cross, die for our sins, and rise again for our justification. That's the picture of what you're seeing here. So Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them. They were all amazed. Look at this. Circle the word all. Now, you can accuse me, if you want to, of being a little bit overly optimistic. But does all include everybody? Would all include the critics? 
Do you remember last week we looked at some of the priests became followers of the Lord? Many priests, actually, the Bible, the book of Acts says became. I've got a feeling these theological critics became theological converts because they were all amazed and they all praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like Do not be afraid of your critics. Just keep living the gospel. And then finally, I need a relationship with God as my father more than I need healing. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned over onlookers. My prayer tonight is that God will stun our community by not only the people he touches and saves, but by the miracles that he does that will show just who he is. Can you say amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for this exciting book, Lord. I feel like I'm having a personal revival just preparing and preaching these messages, Lord, from the book of Mark. I've always loved it, but I love it now more than ever. But I love Jesus that you reveal to me in this book now more than ever. Help us, oh God, to have big, hairy, audacious faith, Lord. Jesus, such faith that we're willing to tear apart the roof in order to get somebody into your presence. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Good night. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church on our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.